good morning from Sleepless in Dubai, from a very sunny Dubai today. Um, I would like to introduce myself. My name is Julie Mallon. I'm the founder of Nurture to Sleep. Um, I have a real passion around everything children and adults when it comes to sleep. And I also have one of my proudest achievements, achievements is my three daughters who all live here in Dubai, which is incredible. And I'd like to now hand you over to Laura, my co-host. Yes, my name is Laura Buckwell. I am an international event MC. I am a broadcast journalist and former news anchor. And also, most importantly, as Julie mentioned, I'm a mother of two. And on today's podcast, we are very lucky to be joined by the wonderful Oz, who is a biochemist and also the founder of Sprout. So um, tell us a little bit about Sprout yourself and how Sprout was born. Yeah, hi, uh, Julie, Laura, so nice to be here. Thank you for having me, first of all. Um, Yeah, my name is Oz. I'm a biochemist by education. That was a long time ago. Um, I'm a mom of two children as well, two girls, um, and the founder of Sprout. Um, I founded Sprout because I realized when I, um, with my first child, Selena, I realized um, that there is a mismatch between what we should be eating and what's good for children and what's available in the market. Um, and that led me down a bit of a rabbit hole in going back to my biochemistry roots and going into primary literature, really looking at what children should be eating, babies during their different phases and stages and everything. And then matching this against uh, what's available as products to us as, as moms or parents in general, right? And there was a huge mismatch. So everything that is really good for us is not really conveniently available. And everything that is not so good for us is conveniently available. And Sprout was born because I wanted to change that. And I think it needs to be changed because I think children deserve good nutrition. So what, what is the basis of that then? That the, the, all this unhealthy food is so available and the healthy stuff isn't? Is it because of price? Is it just cheaper? Is it What is it? It's a supply side issue. It's, um, it, is, it is the food system as it's been set up and operating in current times. You have the food manufacturers, you have the supermarkets, and then you have the consumer. Um, healthy food is not a demand side problem. There's demand. If you speak to any parent on the planet, they all want to feed their children good food. I mean, there's no such thing as a parent saying like, oh, you know what? I really like it that my children are eating chicken nuggets every day. There is no such thing. I do also think that parents are completely overwhelmed. Yes. And they are yes. being given so much conflicting information. Correct. And there is this sense of, I don't know where to go first because everyone... Parents are seen as a commodity, unfortunately. It's all about getting to spend their money. Now, I do also think that, you know, years ago, even when I was, you know, when my children were young, it was easier then than it is for parents now because everyone is so time-starved. And that is something that needs to be addressed. You know, everyone is... Things are so expensive now, and I don't just mean food. I mean... You know, education, clothes, everything. Our lifestyles are very expensive. And so parents have to be in the workplace, or a lot of parents feel they have to be in in the workplace to provide this amazing education, but there is always a cost. And I do feel that we have to, we do have to go back to the basics and look about how 
and recognize we are what we eat. And if we think about our children when they are first born, we have the most wonderful opportunity to build their long health. You know, we talk about different things that we're looking at a diet of a, a child when we first introduce the weaning and the solids. And if we think of that information and it's the guidelines of the World Health Organization, but actually my big question, and I do know the answer, is that is it based on evidence? Is it based on research? Because it's not, you know, as to when you introduce solids to your baby and the recommendation is six months. We need to really look, what does that mean? And not only what does that mean, what are we going to be introducing and why? You know, they talk about no salt in a baby's diet until the age of one. And we, we need to explain to our parents why that's important. And for example, there's lots of studies now showing that when, if we have um, salt before the age of one, we grow into an adult that is much more likely to have heart disease because the kidneys are tiny and they can't cope. And I know if parents have that information, so how do we get that information? I think that's what you're doing. I think you're getting that information out there. So I really applaud to you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I couldn't agree more with you. I mean, everything you just said, um, it's exactly what the issues are. Um, there's a huge element of education, but there's also an, a huge element of um, that I'm like working on is trying to change the food system a little bit. Um, it shouldn't be up to the supermarkets to decide what gets on the shelves. There should be a mandatory segment that um, is healthier or more health-promoting than other things, right? Even though you may make less margin, but you know what? You're a supermarket. You've chosen to be in the segment. You have, there needs to be accountability and responsibility at all levels. You know, I immediately go to thinking about constructing the child's brain and the good food is what is going to build that child's brain. And, you know, all the evidence is out there. When we give good food to our children, then we are increasing their cognitive function. And we also know from a tax perspective, they're going to be earning more, working more. So, they're so it's a win-win for everyone in society. So we can't just say it's about cost because... The government, like you say, all the all the large bodies have got to come on board. Yes. But again, it's about how do we get that information to to our parents. You know, we were talking just before we started the podcast um, about some research about the nutrient choline. Yeah. And we, there's a very interesting study that when pregnant women were given, you know, it as a supplement, 11 years later, their children were found found to have a higher cognitive function, 11 years later. For, for everyone, for anyone listening, <laughs> and look, what is, what is choline? Well, you can put it, I mean, it's a really important building block um, for building the synapses within the brain, for adding to the structure within the brain. So it's, it's so vital. Also, um, there was a really wonderful study where they were looking, and this was in London, a really, really huge study in London, where they were, um, they had a group of children who uh, their diet was improving, they were given as a supplement omega-3 and then a group of children who were not given supp the supplement. They actually had to stop it because it was unethical in that the children who were given the omega-3, their cognitive function was rising so rapidly. So they actually had to stop it. Oh, wow. You know, so this is where we know the information is there that food is so important to our children in terms of these yeah. building blocks and recognising we're growing an adult, we're not growing a child. Yes. 
So tell me some more, sorry, go on. Yeah, no, tell, tell us more about your products then. How are they sort of designed and developed to sort of help with the children's development and maybe, you know, how, how that relates to sleep as well? Yes, exactly. I mean, there's a huge, um, there's a huge connection between health and sleep and between diet and the gut and the gut directing and being involved in regulating sleep. Right. So these three things are just like really uh, food, gut, gut, sleep. These three things are related to one another. Um, sprout food is very different from any other food manufacturers, food, um, legacy food businesses. Um, I don't want to drop names, but legacy, I think, describes what is out there. Yeah. Um, they're concerned. They're food manufacturers. They're concerned with taste. They're concerned with shelf life. They're, they're, not, they're not coming at this from a nutrition perspective or from a, from a scientific or research perspective. That was never their job. And asking them to do that is also, I think, just not right. It's asking a plumber to become a carpenter, mm -hmm. right? Both are handymen, yeah. both know how to use tools, but one is a plumber, the other one is a carpenter. I mean, there's two different things, right? And we are in the business of manufacturing nutrition. They're in the business of making food. <laughs> so, there you go, yeah. It, it's different. It's very different. So when I, when we create recipes, when I create, when I sit down and I actually create recipes, I think about diversity. I think about the interplay between the ingredients that I'm using. I'm thinking about how this is going to nurture the microbiome. Yeah. Um, what's the fiber level? What's the protein level? What is the secondary plant nutrients, the phytochemicals that are we getting? Are, are we getting enough antioxidants? Are we getting like, where are we with all of this? That is what drives the recipe. Yes, I want to make a bolognese, and ours is a lentil bolognese with three kinds of sprouted lentils. Um, but it's, it, it's, it's almost secondary. Yeah. First and foremost is like, how do we, how can we diversify this meal? How is each meal diverse in and of itself? I was just about to say, I yeah, also yeah. think in terms of your diversity and the ingredients, like for example, you're talking about, you know, the three different kinds of lentils. And of course, one of the um, wonderful contents of lentils is its iron content. Yes, and we all like and yeah, and you know, we know that for example that a seven month old baby requires the same amount of iron as a thirty year old male. So it really is important to get these nutrients in. And we know in terms of the brain, it's an iron that mm -hmm. iron is, in, is yeah. an essential part yes. for the architect um, architecture architecture of the brain. Yeah. So that's also really important, but it's it's how these nutrients, how you're working on bringing these nutrients together so that the gut is able to absorb it. Right. And I, again, I think that's a beauty of your products. It's incredible. And being, you know, biochemist and everything, the, the thought process and everything behind it and the research is, is so unique, isn't it? But my, my, my only thing is, you know, these incredible, incredible products are, are great for younger children because you're still, you know, getting them aware in terms of, you know, their taste buds and their palates and things like that and what tastes good and things. But let's say you've got like a nine-year-old that is stuck within this vicious cycle of salt and fast food and that's what he likes and salt is so addictive and so delicious. How do you sort of target that smart? Um, not anymore. 
<laughs> oh, everything that's on my head. Um, not directly. So okay. we started off with like toddler and children food. Right. Okay. Because um, I needed to figure out. We needed to figure. I needed to figure out what the data says and how successful it would be. We have consistently over the last three years seen that we have the greatest success the smaller the kid is, right? When children are like eight months old and starting and, and pinching our pastas and the bolognese sauce and things like that, um, they continue to love their veggies, right? We have I the guess. greatest success there. We have um, not much success with the nine-year-old who has been raised on a Western-type diet, high salt, high sugar, high fat, ultra-palatable food, um, that's really hard to convert to loving steamed broccoli. That requires a huge commitment from parents, and the parents also need to change. It's one thing to wanting your child to change, but if you gag when you see broccoli, how can you expect your child to love broccoli, right? I mean, there's behavioral aspects in there um, and just lifestyle aspects in that household, and we don't... Sprout is not yet there to solve that. We have family jars, family size jars of our products. So instead of having like a baby meal or a toddler meal, you can order the stew or the sauce as a family jar and you choose your grain. Being That's a good idea. And then you're all eating it together and then it's the influence of the parents and what yes. you're eating, etc. Yes. Yeah. yes. So we have two really important things there as well, modeling. Modeling is so important and it's also really hard when everyone is tired and it's much easier to, but modeling is really important. But equally, um, you know, you were talking about the nine-year-olds and those who are not, you know, their, their palate is not developed anymore for the foods that are good for them. And again, as we are talking about the importance of sleep and nutrition, um, a couple of months ago, I had a 10-year-old little girl who was having sleep issues and fundamentally, diet was one of the biggest factors in terms of her sleep. And it was, you know, a couple of things related to it was anxiety around food. And, you know, this is why your your company is so important, because if we can get a child to have a really healthy relationship around food, again, these are all really important building blocks for sleep and everything else. So, So what would you say in terms of your business, building the business that you are building, and we would love to support you building it even further because there is such a need out there. You know, what about you as a, as a mother um, and the challenges of building the business, being a mother? Because we, you know, both of us here are mothers and it's such an important role always. You know, I have our little daughters and yet I can honestly say to you that I am as... Uh, madly in love with my daughters now. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. madly in love with my daughters now as I was when they were babies. So you you have that forever. You really do. Which is so good to hear, isn't it? Because you yeah. wonder what the teenage yeah. years going to be like, you know, and what what it's going to be like later. So relationship. Yeah, maybe. So how how have you, how are you navigating this role? At Mirabelle, passion fuels global connections. For more than 30 years, our international team has launched campaigns across continents through targeted marketing strategies, captivating promotions, and innovative media solutions tailored to brands ranging from fashion to travel and tourism to health and well-being, and so much more. 
Let our cross-cultural experience engage your audiences. Discover the Mirabelle difference at mirabelle.co.uk. Um, I, I take it day by day. I try and um, focus on the things that I have influence over or control over and let go of the things that I just cannot control. And uh, for, for every household, every mother has their priorities. Diet and good food is a priority of mine. So I put in effort at home. Um, in, in fairness, I have a really good eater and I have a really bad eater. I mean, I've got exactly the same. One that will eat everything and the other is a nightmare. I mean, is that your second one, the bad eater? No, the second one is the good eater. Oh, okay. For me, it's the other way around. The first one. That's just demonstrating about personalities. Yeah, just about personalities. Right. You know, I had a mummy recently and I absolutely loved working with her. She has five children. She was pregnant with her sixth. And the, the fifth child just would not sleep. And she'd never had a problem before. And, you know, so again, it's just, it's nothing to do with where they are in the family almost in lots of ways. But there was so much wisdom from you in that comment. So much wisdom in that, you know, you work on what you can influence and what you control and just letting go of what you can't. Yeah. And I think and advertising. Yeah. So what do you do with the fussy East then? Because, I mean, you're a biochemist and you've got this amazing business. So what do you do? So at the, in the very beginning, I mean, you have your logical side, right? Your science side and the data side that says, all right, us, you know, chill, because she's not going to die, obviously. On the inside, it's like, okay, she didn't eat this. She didn't eat this. She had, she didn't have this whole, uh, this food group or that food group. I mean, it, it kind of like... You're a big case. Yeah. yeah. And then you need to you I need I need to also remind myself, okay, chill. Because yeah. even if she's not eating it or not eating it two days in a row, who cares? Yeah. She's not gonna die. Yeah. The relationship with foods is as important as the food itself. Right. So there is no I don't want her to have a negative relationship or a bad relationship with her food. I do want her to understand uh to think through food groups herself. So that's what I taught my children. I'm asking them, did you have walnuts today? Did you have nuts today? No, we didn't. Okay, grab a handful of nuts, right? Um, did you have something green, a green vegetable to eat? No. Okay, what do you want to eat? Cucumber. Fine, eat cucumber. You have something orange. I mean, we're going through like the, the building blocks. I want them to start thinking through the building blocks that they are eating so that they themselves inherently diversify what they eat without me trying to. And we have to be very clever. Yeah. That's so important for our children, to give them enough that they can manage, you know, enough to make sense. And again, with this little girl, um, this 10-year-old who, you know, was not enjoying food, and um, you, what I suggested was that to really bring in the science, but in a fun way, because there's lots of great science experiments out there and then really sit down and say, okay, so what can we eat this week? And go to the supermarket and then look at the ingredients. And I said, who knows? She could be a nutritionist in the future. She could be a biochemist like you in the future. So this is exactly what, yes. But I'm so conscious that I know it takes a lot of time. But in your journey within your work, is there anything that's really stood out to you in terms of the nutrients that, or it, apart from the fact of really delivering these food uh, nutrients to parents for our children, 
Is there anything that's really stood out to you that was important in terms of helping with sleep? Uh, yeah, fiber. Yes. Yeah. Fiber. And um, again, nurturing the gut from the get-go because um, diet influences what kind of microbiome we harbor in very simplified terms. And um, the more diverse the colonies are that we harbor on the inside, uh, the better um, the biochemical processes that happen, right? It's from digestion to like um, like just being fit, the immune, steering the immune system, but also then steering sleep and anxiety because these two go together. There's usually when anxiety is involved, sleep is compromised. On the flip side, when sleep is compromised, anxiety usually increases. Like yeah. they're tied to one another. And the gut has an incredible influence and the microbiome has an incredible influence over these two things. So what type of fiber do you recommend then? Uh, fiber, just, yeah, fiber is part of plant foods. Uh, you get it from plants. We can't get it from animal products. So your glass of milk, for example, doesn't have fiber, has other nutrients, doesn't have fiber. So you need to make sure to um, eat sufficient amount of fiber. For a toddler, just around like 20 grams of fiber per day, uh, give or take. For adults, we should actually be trying to eat around 35, 40 grams per day. And no, uh, nobody no, does. No, exactly. 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 You, you're saying it's mainly plants rather than the sort of oats or, you know, oats as well, oats as well so or cracker bread and things like that. Anything okay. fiber. Okay. Everything that is unrefined whole plant. Right. Okay. That's from your Got broccoli it. to your banana to your strawberry to your, like, everything. But, not, but no sort of cracker breads or anything like that, you would no, say? No, that's refined flour. Yeah, it's too refined. It won't have some fiber residues. Yeah. It will be so minuscule. It won't be. So I, I don't know what I can say any products, but, you know, there's... But banana has, for example, about two grams of fiber. Okay. One banana. You know, these very well-known high-fiber cracker brands, they actually don't have that much fiber no, in them. No, they do. They do. So they should. I mean, I need to turn around the uh, <laughs> the, the the product and read the label He's to right. tell you whether it is actually high-fiber yeah. okay. or... It's just marketing, um, basically. Or yeah. marketing, exactly. Yeah. That's the other thing. Um, and that's usually... Uh, this is actually the issue with kids' food. Most of the kids' food... So here's the, here's the caveat. While fiber is really, really important, and especially important for adults, with kids, we want to strike a balance. Yes. Because too much fiber yes. fills them up. So when you give them a bowl of, like, salad, you love it. You should have it. But it fills them up, and because it's less calorically dense, doesn't have as much calories. But children, growing children, need a lot of calories to grow. Um, it may have a negative impact. So while they should have fiber, they shouldn't have too much fiber. Right. I, I have exactly that experience with this a very lovely Italian family. And um, we started with the sleep work. The, this child, the child was waking several times during the night. And um, anyway, we got to sleep beautifully, but she was still waking up at night for milk. And I could not work out what it was. And it, it threw a, a series of um, keeping a sleep and food diary again. I said, okay, so we need we need to look. And one day I was there for a consultation and she was having brown rice at lunchtime, a large bowl of brown rice with her food. And I, that's it. Because that meant by the time it came to her evening meal at 5.30, 
she was still so full that she couldn't eat in the evening. Oh my gosh. So can you see how all these elements, we have to be looking, you know, our sleep is determined from the minute we wake up in the morning to the minute we go to sleep at night. But that was so fortunate that I was able to recognize, okay, so it's that brown rice you're having at lunchtime. So that was going to be my question, actually, in, in terms of fiber and with children, we know it is about balancing and there's the certain ages that they can tolerate and they can absorb and break it down. Um, but certainly that has to be considered yes. as well. Yes. But the problem is that the majority, I even like Sprout as a company, we're 100% whole food plant-based. Yeah. Um, but none of our customers are. We haven't, we don't, we, I think currently we don't even have a single vegan customer. Like they're all omnivorous kids. And the reason why parents really seek out Sprout is to bring in that balance, mm -hmm. right? to bring in what's lacking the most. What's lacking most with children that in children's diets currently are whole grains, legumes, and veggies, right? These are the three things that fall short. Yeah. But even, so not only do they fall short, but the actual nutrients in them are just phenomenal. You know, beans, for example. Yeah. None of us are eating enough beans. And yeah. if we look at our children, so again, all of these, our smoothicles even have beans. They do? Yes. The, the smoothicle, the popsicle has yeah. has white. Isn't that amazing? And it's not yeah. compromised on taste or anything. It's all, no, it's not. Great. I mean, it's, it's a smoothicle. It's not gonna, it's not gonna melt like a magnum. Yeah, yeah. people <laughs> wanna make like, and <laughs> so, but um, that was not its intent anyway. Yeah. If you want. Well, definitely like try it. one of those. That sounds so, so good. Yeah. yeah. Oh yes, my other question. Oh, actually this was to Julie because we were talking about nutrition and now it's related to sleep uh, earlier actually. And you mentioned that it's good to have a carbohydrate before you sleep and that honey is actually quite uh, a teaspoon of honey will sleep will make you sleep well. So um, a number of things. First of all, we know according to the science that we don't give honey to babies under the age of one. And it's in relation to possibly causing and it's linked to botulism. That's why I always, if we can just tell parents why we're not doing something, not just yeah. because, it's really helpful. Yeah. So under the age of one, um, but again, there's different research about that. I will not go into this podcast, but yeah. and but yes, under the age of one, and it is a carbohydrate. So, it, but it's it's how we use it because it ultimately it's still sugar, and so we have to look at our diet throughout the day, at our children's diet, and so there is also the conversations around the benefits of magnesium. So again, looking at their diet, that our children's diet that has the magnesium, and us as adults, not just um, in children. But yeah, so honey, but carbohydrates, if we're looking at the perfect combination for sleep for our children, it's high in carbohydrate and a lower amount of protein because the protein will actually stimulate the brain. So we, we've just got to, and again, it's trying to find that balance where it's easy. It's not overcomplicating things for parents. You know, we know they're going to get the protein because most children have some milk, so they've got the protein. And, of course, milk has got carbohydrate in, so... Yeah, yes. Which is why your products yeah. are so amazing, because they're ready to go, they're there, and all, you know, everything's done, and it's just yes. sort of like these perfect little, yeah. little packages of, of nutrition, basically. Yes. I mean, yeah, just to pick up on your um, uh, word about protein, um, we're like, we've been wired... Uh, as a society yeah. over the last, like, I don't know, decades 
to um, seek out protein like there's no tomorrow. Yeah. Like without it, we will shrivel and die. Yeah. Um, protein only becomes relevant in two circumstances for most of the population, at least. One is like either you're an athlete and you really want to achieve some certain goals. Yes. Or you are under the poverty. You are in poverty mm -hmm. and you are undernourished. Then you also have a protein issue, mm -hmm. right? In these, between these two, for the most part of the populations across the globe, protein is not an issue. Yeah. Yeah. Yet absolutely. we make it this huge thing as if, oh, what was you going to have for your protein? What you going to have for your all, all plants have all protein. Yeah. They have it in varying concentrations. But if you are, again, eating a diverse diet, there's... No, there's almost no chance. It's practically impossible for you to become protein deficient. But carbs in adults is like the devil today, isn't yes. it? In terms of yeah, diet, and if you want to lose weight, you don't eat the carbohydrates, or you eat, you know, minimal carbohydrates. So there's all these different mixed messages. Yeah, or you see, or you sweet. But I mean, I certainly grew up um, hearing, you know, as king as adults, we eat like kings at lunchtime and like paupers at mealtime, at dinner time, but it's the complete opposite for our children because, again, we were talking about this previously, sleep is not a passive state. Sleep is so active. And when we are sleeping, which I, I find this incredible, that, um, and I do, I must have been hyperactive, I think, as a child, because I, my brain is always off, but um, I know that there, when we are sleeping, there is a part of our brain that 30% of it is more active when we are sleeping than when we are awake. So, you know, we were having a conversation about how active the brain is whilst we're sleeping. Yes, to the outside world, yeah. it looks, you're asleep, there's no activity. But actually, it's a very active process. It's the process of sorting emotions. It's the process of uh, cleaning up uh, yeah, well, inside. Lymphatic. It's the lymphatic system that kicks in, that does all the cleaning up and... Um, resetting almost like the, the processes mm -hmm. um psychologically we are sorting as children children need to sort oh uh, the emotions that they experience the days the the experiences that they had like oh i i jumped off the sofa um i fell all right that's like noted um all of that happens during sleep mm -hmm. yeah and that happens in terms of in our rapid eye movement that's why it's so important for our children to get the sleep because it is, it's almost like an emotional band-aid. Rapid eye movement, as I say, it's like that emotional band-aid of processing all these different emotions that our children go through. And they go through a lot. You know, if you think about children in year one at school, they have so much to learn. Oh my goodness. And then when it's the playground, they don't go and play. Of course they play, but they've got to navigate all of these different personalities of, you know, one child will leave one another out, another child out. And our children have to learn all of that. And that's why that sleep, good quality sleep, is so important. Yes. But again, you touched upon something which I find absolutely phenomenal and which makes me very excited about sleep, of course. But the glymphatic system that you talk about, this is really new. And as three women here and as the mother of three daughters, um, it, it, this, this, um, this discovery was by a woman scientist that she discovered the glymphatic system. So the glymphatic system, just to elaborate a little bit, yeah. is what happens when we sleep. 
and it clears all the toxins from our brain. And when we sleep better and clear all these toxins, the likelihood of Alzheimer's and dementia are far, you know, they drop dramatically. But this is what we need to be doing as well with our children. So, yeah. Isn't that incredible? Yeah, that's really amazing. So is there any sort of nutrition link to that as well before you go to sleep to sort of clean everything through that sort of aligns with sleep? So if we're looking at our children, um, it is about, you know, making sure that they are hydrated enough because, you know, if we're looking at, I don't know, three things that I would suggest that you do as adults um, to help your sleep. One would be the first thing you do in the morning and I know this is huge, but we should be drinking 450 mils of water. The first thing we do, don't reach for the coffee, but the 450 mils of water. The second thing is we actually need to be stretching, you know, doing some kind of activity because that starts the body off for repairing, which then helps with our sleep in the, at nighttime. And then the third thing is exposure to light. Really, really important. Is that direct exposure to yeah. sunlight? Yeah, yeah. And so, again, with our children, it is about making sure that they are hydrated, but recognising, and you'll be an expert here um, much more than me, uh, foods that contain, you know, high levels of water. So we mustn't get caught up in this idea that our children have got to have this amount of water. We've got to look at foods like cauliflower. You know, it's my understanding, and I'm probably wrong now, but it's my understanding that a peach, 88 of a peach, 88% of a peach is water. So, you know, these are foods that really help with our children. It's watermelon, peach, even apples, like they contain uh, water, right? Yeah. And you are getting the water not by drinking it from a cup, but by eating stuff. Because when we sleep, our body is dehydrated. When we wake up in the morning, we are dehydrated from our sleep Yeah. throughout the night. So that's why, hence the water, we need to be drinking water when we get to yeah. as well. So what do you... Uh, equates to the perfect night's sleep? Do you have any type of sort of sleep routine? And what, what is that scenario in terms of the perfect night's sleep for you? Um, the perfect night's sleep actually starts in the morning. <laughs> yeah. It's actually not really starting in the evening. In the morning, it's great um, if I manage. Um, so my perfect day would be I wake up, I actually have coffee. <laughs> <laughs> and then not, not anymore. Yeah, not anymore. <laughs> not after today, I'm not going to have it. Um, and then I get an hour to work out. That would be fantastic. Um, if I can put in some meditation in there as well, just like mindfulness, like even if it's for 20 minutes, just closing your eyes and like meditating, that is all prepping you for the evening. The ideal, uh, night prep is eating no later. Normally for me, it's 6 PM. Yeah. No later than 6 p.m. and not like huge portion and ideally nothing refined, nothing like it should be something light with veggies and whole grains and a bit of legumes in my case. Um, and then going to bed no later than the time that gives me eight hours of sleep. So eight yeah. hours is the benchmark. Eight, eight hours. It's for me. Everyone is slightly different, but I think most people are somewhere between the seven and nine hour window. At least that's what science says. I felt it for myself. Uh, below eight, below seven hours becomes an issue for me. Yeah, uh, I don't function well. Do you do you approve? Um, I absolutely do approve. But in terms of less than seven hours, and um, we know that if we're getting seven hours sleep or less, we're three times more likely to catch a cold. Yeah, three times more likely. You know, when we get seven hours or more, mm. then if we're looking at vaccinations, for example. Um, the efficacy is 11 times greater. Yeah. 
So 11 times greater. So looking at our immune systems. So yes, I absolutely do approve. But just going back to the coffee, don't <laughs> waste it in that what this does, it impacts our um, adenosine, this neurotransmitter. We've got lots of it in the morning, so we do it's fine. Whereas later on, a little bit later, now we can have the coffee and that helps. Right. Right. So interesting. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thank it's you been for having really brilliant chatting with that you. Was Thank you. Really nice. Thank you. Oh, honestly, I think you can tell our enthusiasm, and I'm I'm really sorry that I spoke too much, but I just love this, and I think building a community that is going to help parents because they are so lost. Yes, so lost yeah. when it comes to food and sleep. So, um, so just to finish, and all things sleep. So reset, recharge. And you really will be able to conquer whatever it is that you want to do.